1 Samuel chapter 23 and it's on page 233 of the Pew Bibles. We're going to read from verses 1 to 14. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against these Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah and he said, God has handed him over to me, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Amen. We're going to pray together as we look again at this scripture. Lord, we pray in weakness. We pray to the one who is strong and mighty. We pray to you. Lord, you only have got the power to open the eyes of the blind. So I'm asking now, Lord, with these brothers and sisters that you would open our blind eyes, Lord, that we might see, and in seeing that we might see you and worship. So that's what we pray in the name of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. 
The one who has been uh, anointed as king is on the run and he's being hunted down by the reigning king. The one that was anointed king is David. Uh, We were introduced to him as a little boy uh, and he was anointed king, but not yet king. And the one who is reigning on the throne at the moment is Saul and he has a great murder in his heart against David and he's seeking to kill him. We've just witnessed uh, that Saul, the reigning king, has uh, gone to the priests at Nob and accused them of aiding his enemy David and has slaughtered 85, 85 priests, one of the most horrific things that happens is these priests that haven't done anything wrong, he slaughters them in his murderous um, hatred uh, against, against David. He was just filled with jealousy. He's got this um, paranoia going on in his heart and he just wants David uh, killed. I want to look at the suffering of David. I want to look at why we suffer in our lives. And I want to look lastly at how how to suffer. Look at the suffering of David. He, he's on the run. Uh, this uh, Saul has got this army and chasing him down. But there is a town in Israel called Keilah that has been attacked by the, 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 the nation of the Philistines. And they're in big trouble. And you might think to yourself, well, David will say, ah, look, we're just only just holding on to the, uh, our own lives. Uh, there's no way we can go and put ourselves out for anyone else. But that's not what he does. And he says to God, God, will I go down and save those people in Keilah? Um, they're, they're being attacked by the Philistines. And, and he, he says, and the Lord says, yes. Go down, um, go down to Keilah. And so Saul goes down to Keilah. He actually inquires of the Lord twice. He says, Lord, the, the men are afraid. And they say, I don't know whether we should. We're, we've got enough troubles of our own. We're getting, being attacked by Saul. Why should we go and help anyone else? Um, so David goes back to the Lord and says, will we go? Will we go, Lord? And the Lord says, Yep, I will give them into your hand. And so David goes, he gets the victory um, and Saul pursues him. He, he, Saul hears that David has gone into the city of Keilah with bars and gates and Saul says, <laughs> cool. He, we've got him now because there's no way he can get out. He's entrapped. He's, he's entrapped himself in the city of Keilah and Saul is on his way. But David learned that Saul was plotting against him and again, um, David comes to God um, and says, Lord, is Saul going to come down to Keilah? And the Lord says, yes, he is. 
He's going to come down and attack you. And then David says, and will these people that I've just saved, these people from Keilah, will they hand me over to Saul? And the Lord says, yes, they will. They'll hand you over. And so it says that, um, so David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. They were on the run. It was like a nationwide manhunt that they wanted to track David down. Uh, And in verse 14 it says, Day after day Saul searched for him. It was just this obsession in his heart, just this obsession to track him down. That's all that was on his mind. But it says, But God did not give David into his hands. Do you know this was one of the lowest points, I think, of this story? That here he is, there's this this immense pressure on David, just being tracked down by his own king, just this incredible pressure on him, uh, this nationwide manhunt, and I just think David is just at breaking point at this moment, wandering from place to place, just going from place to place, on the run. And then we read, the while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to him. Uh, he had learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's sons, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. No one else could find David. (laughs) The whole army was looking for David. No one could find him. But Saul's son, Jonathan, David's best friend in the world, finds him. (laughs) Finds him in the desert of Ziph. And he goes to him and it says, and he helped him find strength in God. He didn't help him with weapons or he didn't help him with food. He helped him in, in a different way. He helped him find strength. In God. This is what Jonathan says to him. Jonathan said to David, My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king. And I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And so in this very, very low point, in the desert of Ziph, in David's desperation, His best friend in the world, Jonathan, the son of the king who was trying to kill David, comes to him and he encourages him. How? By reminding him of the promise. Remember the promise. You're going to be king. You will be king. When we turn to chapter 24... The, the manhunt sort of ramps up and it says that Saul returned uh, from the Philistines and he was told that David is in the desert now of En Gedi. <laughs> and it feels like, and so Saul gets uh, 3,000 young men and 3,000 young men uh, in, his, in his army and he went to look for David in at the crags of the wild goats. And so... 
this feels like at this point that that Saul's triumph is very, very close. <laughs> Here now, I'm just imagining in my eyes, 3,000 young men, 3,000 warriors in Saul's command, now closing in on David in the, in the desert of En Gedi. And you think, David's time is just about up. Saul's going to get him. But then we read, He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were, uh, David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you uh, to deal with as you wish. Very rarely in the Bible do we hear about the toileting habits of a king. (laughs) But here, right here in Samuel 24, it says that Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. And there's many, many caves in the, in the En Gedi desert. Many caves. But he chooses the very one that David is hiding in with his men. The men are way, way back in the cave. And so here is Saul, taken off his robe, relieving himself in the cave. And the men see what's happening and they say, David, (laughs) this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said he's going to give your enemies into your hands. It got God's handprints all over it. This is the time. Now God has definitely given him into your hands. Go and strike him down. Do you know, it says, then David crept unnoticed in the dark silently, crept unnoticed to Saul and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, amazingly, afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe, it says in verse 5. He said to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and he went his way. Do you know, David was, he cut the the robe off. He he didn't, didn't kill. There he was, Saul, with his pants down. Um, there he was. He was just totally vulnerable to David. And David, this was, you might have said, David might have said to himself, this is definitely God's hand is on this. I'm going to kill him. God has given him to me. But that's not what David did. He cut his robe off. And even when he cut the corner off his robe, he was conscious stricken. Oh, why was he conscious stricken? Because he said, this is the Lord's anointed. I don't want to lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. And he was sharply rebuked his men. His men were just right there, just wanting to, to take his life. And he, he turned to him and he said, you do not touch him. You do not dare touch him. 
sharply rebuked his man. Then when David went out of the cave, Saul was on his way out. Saul was walking back. Still he didn't know that David was there. And David goes out to the mouth of the cave and he calls out. Very risky. Very risky. But he calls out and he says, My Lord, the King! (laughs) And when Saul looked behind him, David looked down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen to men when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord has delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some have urged me to kill you, but I spared you and I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of the robe in my hand. I have cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. He's standing at the mouth of the cave and he's holding up the bit of robe and he's saying, Saul, do you want some evidence that I've not got it in my heart to kill you? Then here is the evidence. I could have killed you. I have nothing in my heart. I've done nothing against you. Why? Why, Saul? Are you taking my life? And it says that Saul wept aloud. He wept aloud and he said, David, you're more righteous than I am. It's an extraordinary part of David's life. It's a really amazing part of David's life. Because David had been suffering enormously, like terrible suffering. And and this could he could have just ended the suffering right there. He'd killed plenty of people up till now. That wasn't a problem. He could have ended the suffering, his own suffering right now. And not only would he have ended the suffering, but guess what? He would have got the kingdom. The whole kingdom, easy, into his hand, right like that. Ended the suffering and, and everyone would have said, yes, it's obvious that God has been here and, and, and that David, you've got the kingdom. No more suffering. But David had something else going on in his heart. Saul, he said, no, no, he's God's anointed. God is the anointed one. And he, and he, he wasn't just going to grab the, the throne. He wasn't just going to say, that is mine. Do you know when I think about politics in Australia? And I think we've seen it over the, over the last 10 years. We've just seen, ah, oh, wow. Just grabbing power at some point and stabbing someone else in their back and you, you just grab the power when it's there to be grabbed. But but David didn't do that. What's going on in him? What is going on in him? He trusted the promise. 
He trusted the promise of God. He did not need... He was going to be, he wasn't going to grab the kingdom. He was going to wait for the kingdom to be given to him. God had promised him the kingdom and he doesn't have to grab anything of his own. He could have used the sword at that moment. He had the sword in his hand. He could have just grabbed the kingdom. But he believed the promise. He trusted the promise. You know, I'm amazed uh, at people that have just got practical solutions to all sorts of... I'm just amazed at some people's practicality, and it's good. You know, it's very, very good. But this wasn't a practical solution. The sword is something you can grab. They're very practical. Accomplish what you want to accomplish! But David believed in a promise, a more powerful promise. And and he was basically saying, I'm willing to keep suffering, but I just don't want to displease God. I don't want to do anything that would displease God. And do you know when David rose to the throne, eventually David did become king. And do you know one of the the, the glory, what, what made him great? What made him great? The, the, what made him great was that he didn't grab the throne, that he, it wasn't all about him. It wasn't all about him getting what he wanted when he wanted. It was about the fact that he loved God and he wanted to serve God and, and he was willing to suffer as long as he would honour God. And when he reigned as king, that was his glory. That's the suffering of David. So I want to ask now with you, why do we suffer? And there's lots of answers to that. But when suffering's happening, one of the most common questions is why? 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 Why, God? Why this hardship? You know, I reckon David must have been asking that question too. He must have been asking, I've really done nothing wrong. I have nothing. I've served the king faithfully. I've called him my master and my lord. I've, I've just done whatever he's ever asked me to do. Why am I suffering so much? God, where are you? Why are you causing me to suffer? Do you know, David is a prototype of Christ. David is a prototype of Christ. He's a shadow of the reality. Do you remember where it says in Mark chapter 8, it says it in many places actually, but I'll just read it to you out of Mark 8. And it's, This is Jesus. And it says... Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Do you remember how the disciples responded when Jesus said, (laughs) I've got to suffer and be rejected? 
And do you remember how they said, no way, no way. Suffering is not on your path, Jesus. It is not going to be part of what you do. And Jesus used the most strong rebuke to Peter. He says, you've got only the ways of man in mind, not the ways of God. Jesus said, I must suffer. The Messiah must suffer. Do you also remember, do you remember that after Jesus had suffered on the cross and he, the women had gone and the, the tomb was empty and two disciples were walking along the road to Emmaus and they were discussing with each other that, that they were just so confused because they thought that he was going to be the king. They thought he was going to be the Lord. And now he's, he was killed in shame and disgrace. And, and the women had gone and the tomb was empty. And someone came along beside them that I didn't recognize that it was Jesus himself. And he said, what are you guys discussing? And they said, are you the only one in all Israel? Haven't you heard about Jesus? And this is what Jesus said to them. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? (laughs) Look, he's saying how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All that was in the... Don't you understand what was in here? that the Messiah had to suffer? And you might say, well, where in the Bible does it say he has to suffer? Look at the prototype. Look at the prototype. Look at David. He he had to suffer. He went through suffering. His road to the throne was right through suffering. It was not ducking around the suffering. It wasn't ducking it or weaving it or whatever. It was going through the suffering. Do you see that David, David was betrayed by, by twice actually. The, the ones that he came to save, the, the, the ones in Keilah, you would say he would never be betrayed by the ones he came to save. But he was betrayed by the ones he came to save and he did. And he was betrayed by the Ziphites later on. In the same way, Judas betrayed Jesus. He, he was betrayed and he suffered. The road that he was on was a road of suffering. Jesus said of himself, some people said, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he said, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's homeless. He, he's, got, he's, he's nowhere to go. In the same way that David was just roaring around in the wilderness, he had nowhere to go, nowhere to rest. He was on the run. And so it is with Jesus. Do you know, I think of Jesus um, just about before he was going to be arrested and he... His disciples were going to save him. And he said, don't you realise that I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted to? I could do it the easy way. 
I could, do, I could duck around the suffering. I, I could do it. The, or do you remember when the devil came to him and he said, the devil came to Jesus and said, Jesus, all you've got to do is bow down and worship me and I will give you all the nations of the earth. Do the easy way, Jesus. Forget the suffering path and we will just do the easy. We'll do the easy. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I must suffer. I must suffer. Look, the kingdom of God cannot be taken with human power. David could have taken the kingdom of God with human power. He could have got the sword and he could have just taken the kingdom. But he would have wrecked the plan of God. The, the, the kingdom of God cannot be taken with human power. That might be the most important sentence that I say this morning. It's hard for me to get it even in my own mind. The kingdom of God cannot be taken by human power. It's taken as we believe a promise. In the midst of you, you want to grab this, you want to fix that, you want to do whatever, you want to build your own kingdom, you want to do this and that and the other. Even pastors, they can think, oh, I just want to build a church and I'll do this and if I only have this and if I do lights and if I do whatever and if then we will see the kingdom come. Look, your life, you think that I can accomplish whatever I like with my life, I'll do this and I'll switch that switch and I'll get that worked out and look, your king, you, the kingdom of God in your life will not come with human power. It'll come by something way, way more powerful and that is you believing a promise. And that's my last point. How, we've talked about why the suffering, but now I just want to talk about the, the, the why of the suffering is that we've got to go through suffering to see victory. But the how of the suffering, how do we suffer? How do you suffer through your life? And the how of the suffering is that we must be those that trust the promise of God, extremely powerful. That's what David did. He, he didn't have anything. He wasn't trusting his sword at that moment. He was trusting the very, very, very powerful promise of God and it accomplished way more for him than anything else could happen. And if you trust the promises of God, it will work a power in you that is way above any power of this world. It will work incredibly great power in your life if you can hold on to the promise of God. Saul had his 3,000 men, worldly power. He was going to accomplish everything he wanted to accomplish through worldly power. But the only one thing that David had was a promise. At David's lowest point, Jonathan came to him and strengthened him in the promise. Look. In this world, um, if you're not going through suffering now, you will one day. Uh, terrible suffering. And, and God is asking you not to fix it with worldly means, 
not with worldly weapons, not to accomplish you and weave and duck and weave and just achieve your own thing. He's asking you, will you believe the promise and supremely the promise of Christ? who promises that he will never leave you or forsake you, who promises that he will carry you to the end and he will sit you at the right in glory. He will bless you. He will take care of you. He's asking you, will you lay down all your worldly powers and trust the promise? And he will work a a, a salvation for you, He will work a a blessing for you. He will accomplish a, a life and a joy and a freedom for you, not only in this world, but in the world to come. There is a call of God now on us to trust the beautiful promise of God, more and more powerful than us accomplishing our own stuff through our own ways. The trusting the promise of God and allowing his power work for us a great, great blessing. Father in heaven, we, we're sorry that we're so slow to learn that you're the one that will, through your son, build your kingdom. And... Um, Sorry for all the ways we've tried to accomplish everything through our own human strength. And Lord, we want to come and trust in something infinitely more powerful and that is your promise, the promise that you offer us in Christ. Uh, The promise of life, the promise of light, the promise of hope, the promise of freedom. Um, So Lord, please, we... Surrender all our, our efforts and we trust again that you're the king of the universe and we look to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.